come to manufacture. As you guys can see, Vlad is not currently with us. He is at a trade show in Chicago. He was here until about 30 seconds before we were ready to hit that go live button. I imagine he's going to work his way back on. And if he works his way back on, he will be down there below. If not, uh, Caleb and I have a super exciting uh, conversation for you guys. Uh, before we go ahead and kick off, we, we want to do a couple of things. One, we want to thank Siemens, our sponsor up here, for sponsoring this theme, as well as if you guys have somehow managed to miss it, I, myself, Manufacturing Hub, and Vlad, who will be here in a moment, will all be over in Europe next week in order to be at SPS Nuremberg, right? I think it's it's probably the most exciting shows that I've been to over the course of this year and oh it looks like we've got vlad coming back on so we'll go ahead and drop vlad down here below vlad i was just telling everyone be at sps nuremberg next week monday afternoon time germany morning time north america time which is where almost everyone listening to this will be we will have a event preview on tuesday we'll have a day one recap wednesday normal day different time zone we've got a jam-packed panel or round robin late night show manufacturing hub that i'm not going to quite i'm not going to quite tell everyone who's going to be there but you absolutely don't want to miss it i did give caleb a bit of a preview and introduction of some of the awesome guests that we're going to have and some of the great questions that we're going to be able to ask and then on thursday we'll have a recap in between those, Vlad and I have two presentations, and they've got a bunch of what they call running reporter, where we get to go try to ask questions in five minutes. If your question like Vlad is, how are we supposed to get anything done over the course of five minutes, you guys should turn tune in as well, because that will be super interesting to watch. If you guys are new here, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. Uh, if you're new here, we try to have a very active chat and be able to go have questions and conversations with everyone. I see Vlad is dropping a couple of comments in the LinkedIn chat. Please go ahead and feel free to drop comments. We will try to go ahead and bring those comments into the show as time and, and space allows. I will say if there are a bunch of technical questions, we're typically going to hold those off till after and then be able to go ahead and dive back into those after in the post show. I will also say if you guys are watching on LinkedIn, we've had some strange instances on the LinkedIn where we don't get all of the chats. And sometimes I, I see them on the phone, but they don't show up on the restream where we are here. So if we don't get to all of your questions and comments, hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. I'm sorry if we don't get those. We will 100% get to you guys after the show. But without further ado, everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Up. My name is Dave. This guy down here is Vlad. We are on episode 143, and we would like to welcome back Caleb Eastman to the show. Now, if you guys are longtime listeners, you might have seen Caleb on episode 66, where I think we started talking about it. I feel like we're going to just continue to take the conversation absolutely to the next level. But without further ado, Caleb, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time, Caleb. I think our conversations, including the ones off stream, are extremely interesting. I know that you're working in a number of directions that include edge, AI, machine learning. And so I think that the conversation today is going to hopefully hit on some of those topics, probably not as, as much detail as we've, like I said, discussed off stream, but I'm certainly very excited on how that's going to look like in the manufacturing industry in the years to come. But before we get there, could you give us a bit of a reintroduction 
of what you do in the automation space and ultimately what it is that you are working on today? We are, I am the co-founder CEO of Winterwinds Robotics, or, and we also have a division called Winterwinds Technologies. And, but essentially what we do is we have, we help companies who are trying to implement an edge strategy at scale in their, either in their facility or if they have a, a distributed architecture, essentially working through everything from, uh, in particular, the networking and the firewalls and communication, communications and yeah, basically the whole stack. There's one through eight, if you will. That's a really bad explanation of what we do, but that's the best <laughs> I can do right now. I was going to say, so Caleb, we will get into it a little bit more in the, in the coming minutes, but Vlad and I recently, a couple of months ago, did a live build with Siemens. And one of the things that we got to play with was the industrial information hub and industrial edge. And as we were doing this, you were sending us messages saying that kind of one of the things that you guys at, as, at Winter Winds Technology does is you guys, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're the only North American solutions partner for Industrial Edge and the ecosystem. And you guys are I, in combination of actively deploying and going through the process of, of helping new customers deploy. Is, is that correct? So I, I, I can't say definitively we're the only ones at, at, at presently, I'll say that we definitely, we're definitely very early on as a solutions partner here in North America. And yes, we do help, we do help people implement industrial edge, especially the hairy parts of the IEM V2, which is a Kubernetes cluster and building that up. No, perfect. I think that's super interesting. Caleb, if I can uh, go ahead, Vlad. If I could follow up on that, because I, you know, I want to dig into that a little bit, right? Caleb, are you helping customers deploy industrial edge as a platform to then run other applications? Do you also deploy other applications for them or that's managed more on their side? And ultimately, I also want to ask you about the nature maybe of some of those applications, right? Because I think when Dave and I did that demo, a lot of emphasis was placed on extraction of data from controllers. Is that what you're helping manufacturers do, or is it going to be a bit more advanced image processing, AI, machine learning? Like what's the scope of what they're running on those edge platforms? Yeah. So the first thing we do is we help people get industrial edge into their infrastructure in whatever, in, in whatever way works best for that organization. But then, yes, we usually will help them select the industrial edge apps that are most applicable to their scenario that are already in the app store. And, and, and then we also will augment those apps. Industrial edge has two types of apps. The connect, what I call it, like a connector or adapter apps, which is basically communicated with the controller. And then the other app are applications that once you have the data into data bus and data service, how it can meet the use case of the customer, what problems are the customers trying to solve? Uh, 
as a follow-up to that, Caleb, so I guess if I understand it correctly, and, and I guess that's what I would like to find out a bit more, what's the selling point for the customers that you're deploying Edge to versus doing it, let's say, bare metal or de deploying it natively by their teams? So is it the idea of getting that data? Is it the idea of transforming the data? What exactly are they looking for? Honestly, the interesting thing about Industrial Edge that I found is that everybody seems to have a different reason why, why they are looking for a solution like this right now. Some people are trying to offload compute cycles on their PLCs. Some people are looking to implement a maintenance program for their machines. Uh, some people are really just wanting to have a more flexible application architecture. So for example, the, what Industrial Edge, from my perspective, is really good at is day two operations. If you're deploying arbitrary applications onto, an, onto a, a control system, how does the, how does the, the staff, the factory floor staff, be able to see what applications are doing what and manage them, even though without, without having to know a lot about Kubernetes or Docker containerization or anything like that. So it's a really great management platform for con containerized applications, essentially. Absolutely. And, and can you maybe expand on one or, the, or, or two of those examples of, of where you're seeing interest because it is so diverse, Caleb? Yeah. So the, it's, it's really interesting. Essentially there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of stuff that, that there's a whole lot of problems, a whole large problem space that, that has generally been unsolved an industry perspective as it relates to, to manage, to both integrating systems together, whether it's IT, OT system, mm -hmm. or, or getting beyond the, what I call the node red stage. Essentially, you know, you have, you might have a Modbus driver and node red and MQTT, and you're trying to wire things together, mm -hmm. but really Pretty much everybody recognizes that to scale requires integration with OT staff, et cetera. But mm -hmm. some use cases that that we're addressing is along the lines of what industrial edge are today. Industrial edge has a heavy component around condition monitoring, being able to monitor, being able to implement a maintenance program. There's a really great application called Machine Monitor that I really like. Or where you're trying to integrate the maintenance ticketing with the cycle counts that come from live data, whether it's, so for example, how if you're, if you're trying to implement a maintenance program where you want every time the valve cycles, let's just say a thousand times, you want someone to grease it, that requires integrating the maintenance or task order system with the live data that comes from the control system. And that's the kind of thing Industrial Edge is really good at. And so it's a it's a really interesting way to gather your data up, organize it really well, and then be able to act upon it along some specific verticals. 
And Caleb, if I can maybe take us a step back, right? Because I think the goal isn't necessarily to just discuss industrial edge as a specific solution. I think that there's maybe a an importance to discuss the, I want to say the transformation that we're seeing. And in, in my opinion, at least, and that's the question that I would like for you to elaborate on, it's easier than ever to deploy IT solutions onto the OT side, right? So ultimately that's what we're seeing when it comes to a lot of these technologies. Is that what you're also thinking industrial edge brings or is there maybe like a different way for someone to look at on the manufacturing side of what is happening when it comes to these solutions? Yeah, essentially the life cycle of IT projects, whether it's Kubernetes or software defined networking or Docker itself, or usually is the tool is made and it, the, the platform or the infrastructure is created, but it's very difficult to work with. And so a whole bunch of tooling gets built up over time around it. I like this probably since you're at Kube, Kubicon, you're probably seeing a lot of tooling conversations around Kubernetes and and, and in the, in the life cycle, it usually is, okay, there's some static deployment tooling and some orchestration tooling. And then after that, it's more dynamic deployment tooling and orchestration tooling. And so essentially every time we have a step change in infrastructure, whether it's like virtual machines to containers, to unit kernels, that all that stuff has to build up around it essentially and so right now we're in the building tooling for containers phase and i said industrial edge is a very it's a lot of the tooling that you need to implement containers placed together and 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 with really nice api and really nice different ways to interact with it whether it's command line or user interface so I consider it, it's a really nice container, containerization for OT essentially. And it's hard to describe the things that it does is very complex under the hood. And so it's like I said, we talked the last time about IOLink. For IOLink to work well, it's very complex under the hood for it to be simple to the end user. And that's essentially what Industrial Edge is doing to containers. It, it, this, by the way, obviously, I'm a person who's just describing it as a user and implementer of the system, not someone who's in the prop, who's involved in making it. So this is just my interpretation of what it is. Let me ask you a, a question, like, I guess on that side, because I think the conversation when it comes to any of these tools across different verticals, not just manufacturing, becomes is should we be building in-house or should we be purchasing an off-the-shelf solution? And I think that the idea is that ultimately, in almost every instance, you could technically, let, let's call it, buy a server and then implement your own containers, implement your own like, orchestration engine, ultimately create like observability stacks. But at what point, let's say, in manufacturing, would that not make sense? And in my opinion, at least, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you have a very strong software background, which many factories don't necessarily have. But is there a case? in your opinion, where it would uh, make sense? Oh, so it is, it's, there is so much to, there's so much to good container infrastructure that it is, I can definitely see if, 
Yeah, I, what I tell people is, especially for what it costs, is a no-brainer if you're gonna. So I have a hard time saying there are scenarios where industrial edge is not better than just doing just rolling your own container solution. And I have I've done it a few times, several times. And the main reason why the main reason why you might is that at currently Siemens doesn't run applications on Kubernetes. They're run on edge devices and the app stores basically Kubernetes. So if you were trying to run pure Kubernetes in your infrastructure, then that might, I know that they're going to work IAM extensions. So that's something that you guys are going to hear about before I do, because you're going to be SPS. But, but that I'm trying to think of other scenarios in which just getting out contain, you know, getting out container, or I suppose if you're trying to use infrastructure, that's different. For example, if you wanted to do unit kernels, as an example, industrial edge is very much about containers. So if you're implementing other converged infrastructure methodologies, if you're back off user and you're doing twin cat and it's, it, th those are the kinds of scenarios where I can see it makes sense to avoid a, a solution like industrial edge, but yeah, it's hard to think of any right now. Oh, the backup example is because they run on Windows, right? If I, they run on some kind of a modified, bus, uh, but it's Windows based. No, Industrial Edge is a, it's Industrial OS is a Debian Linux. Um, is, I meant on the backup side, right? You wouldn't want to mix if you have backup like controllers. Oh, not, um, I was thinking of what do they call it? TwinCat. It's the, they have an OS image. It's, it's a, it's actually a BSD. BSD. And so they, they have to use, like, if they want to do containerization, they have to use pots and jail jails. And it's a whole different, it's a very different way of, of, of thinking. And so, yeah, that, that wouldn't, none of that would work with industrial edge if you were trying to manage the BSD image from, like, from back off or something. But again, that's, that's, yeah, that's a whole different thing. If you're doing that, then you're doing that already. Yeah. Right. Dave, what are your thoughts? I, I think it's interesting. And, and but before we dive in much further, Caleb, uh, we've talked about a bunch of different operating systems. We've talked about uh, containers. I think I think we mentioned Docker, right? We mentioned Kubernetes. We mentioned a bunch of these things. And as we were having this conversation, and as we see KubaCon going on behind Vlad, I was thinking to myself, I don't think it's been more than maybe five or six years until I heard kind of anyone five or six years ago before i really heard people in any sense and shape and volume talking about this in the ot space and i feel five or six years ago it was a bunch of testing and things like that and while i know that they are historic we'll call them it tools right tools that basically run infrastructure and everything else and are, are known good uh, i guess before we dig a, uh, deeper into to applications and things like that, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts and the conversations that, that you've been having with IT users, with, with OT users about these types of tools. And if you're finding pushback from any of these groups or we've just come to accept these tools can be used on the production. Yeah, okay. The Depending upon kind of, it's obviously, it's pretty muddy because there was a there we I would say we're on the tail end 
of the VMware phase that OT has been in for a while now, and all of the tooling and all of the the skill sets that people have, have built up around that particular type of infrastructure. So it's it's a brand new world with containers for a lot of people. I'm I found this it's still pretty new to a lot of corporate IT people. A lot of the corporate IT people are more familiar with VMware. Containers and Kubernetes tend to be the province of like you know, Google created Kubernetes for their for their converged infrastructure so that they can move workloads around on nodes a lot easier slicing up the Linux namespace. But the but the so the it's it's like you actually will see pushback from some corporate IT people about using containers because they are still more familiar with VMs. And and there's a lot of fear there's a lot of fear around Linux, honestly. A lot of people have are concerned about bash and command line interfaces and things like that. And, and, and all of this and containers in particular are very, very complex from a networking perspective, the way that you have to, the way that you have to think about networking and how it's, so it, I would say that as it relates to corporate IT and OT and corporate IT and corporate OT, they it's usually fairly similar fears around the around new infrastructure. Then you then where IT starts to head are questions around certificate management at scale or secrets management, PKI, you know, firewalls and and how and in particular one of the most interesting ones is so in the corporate IT world. They don't like it if you encrypt communications end to end because they can't see and they lose yeah. observability. So what you what you have to do is you have to you actually have to have a place where you decrypt the encryption and then re let have a monitor that some kind of flow monitoring tool whether it's Alzomi or Azure IoT Defender or whatever and then you re encrypt. They call this they. This is a big thing that happens in corporate infrastructure a lot, and it's a big thing that IT tends to worry about. So even just the act of encrypt, having encrypted payloads or encrypted messages, like the OBCUA certificate that encrypts it, you have to decrypt it. You have to decrypt all that so that it's visible to the to the to the observability tools, and then you can re-encrypt it essentially. So the, these those are the kinds of things that that you, you tend to deal with, with IT. OT, it's, they basically, I found that they basically just want you to answer the IT people's questions. I, that they want the green light from IT because what they're trying to do is solve the problem. And that, and a lot of times it's really interesting. There's a lot of projects that are computer vision based and, and so the OT personnel tend to be Either, either more concerned about physical, physical, physical hardenings, more about the hardware, and yeah, and then they're very concerned about making sure that all the IT boxes get checked.
let me let me ask you like a follow-up on that caleb and i guess being i want to say predominantly on the ot side as you've uh, explained a little bit like one of my fears is that as we get access to all of these tools there's how to say it it also becomes a challenge of figuring out how to properly set them up on the ot side right and what i mean by that more specifically is as an example I let's say I understand because I've programmed PLCs for many years that it would be difficult to even if you have the possibility to run let's say a JavaScript application at the edge to try and do controls with let's say just very basic uh, JavaScript you could right again I'm not saying that it, it is not possible but I feel that there's going to be maybe a greater opportunity to fall into these traps especially for teams that are maybe not as OT savvy. And so I'm, I guess the concern for me is that we will introduce a lot of possibilities, but many of those possibilities could also be misused per se. And I think there was one example that we discussed on stream, which is more of a networking example with, with Josh, right? Where a, I want to say traditionally IT firm implemented a lot of the network architecture for a company. And the OT side, quite frankly, could not have those, could not handle those payloads and those settings, and thus ended up not being adequate for that customer. So I'm a bit worried that the same might happen on the software side. And I'm curious what your perspective is on how do we maybe have those guardrails in place while we maybe deploy these capabilities. Yeah, so this is a really interesting topic. So some of the guardrails are implemented by, this is one of the things that Industrial Edge does help you with, is creating some guardrails around the application, around how the application interacts with the with the other applications and with the, with the lower layer systems. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of controls around who has access to what data, who can write data back to what, et cetera, from a, and that's a big, that's a big aspect of what it is that I would say as it relates to, there definitely does need to be some, definitely does need to be some, some guard guardrails around it. Luckily, luckily there are industries that are, as an industry are a little bit further ahead than industrial than industrial automation as it relates to i'll call it the automation to autonomy sort of progression one of them is cars if you look at the rules for what is allowed to be on an ecu right now it's c and there's a working group implementing that the guardrails that you can follow there's definitely things you could look at. So I would say that if if the if if the software-defined vehicle people or the people who are working on the libraries for cars wouldn't do it, then it's not good for industrial automation either. Because in general, it's all the same things around safety and determinism guarantees and reliability and things like that. A good rule of thumb is I would say a good rule of thumb is in in if you're in the ot network you should follow the you should follow the 
you should understand what industries who are dealing with software defined automation, software defined autonomy, what they would do in this scenario. And that's a decent, a, a motto I have for myself is that I, and I probably said this last time too, is I hate to innovate out of ignorance. So it's a very big deal for me to understand, okay, for any type of problem around device management or application management or data management or op or orchestra device application orchestration, there is, there are, there are, there's several groups of people that don't talk to each other, funnily enough, that, that they're, that the most robust solution tends to be from the group that has to deal with that problem the hardest. For example, with, with the software defined, I talked about the software defined vehicle people, the autonomous car people, they are not that great at dealing with uh, devices and integrating multiple devices because they have full control over the, the stack all the way to the ECU. They get to choose even what chips they use and what they make. They generally, they will make their own e uh, com computers generally. And so what they're good at is uh, very robust very determinism and also simulation. And they're the best at deploying AI, artificial intelligence in a system where it, the artificial intelligence has direct control over the control system. There's not a, there's not a human in the loop between the AI and the controls of the car. And, and, and so they make these massive data pipelines and they typically open source them too. But you can go see what a lot of them do. And there's also some, they have their own standards, bodies, and open source implementations of those standards and things like that. The people who tend to do really well, at, so there's another group that doesn't talk to anyone, but is what, the matter group. That's the people who work on home IoT devices. What they're really good at is integrating heterogeneous, made by lots of manufacturers, and, and also easy setup, easy management, because their end user are consumers. So there, I can name all five of the groups if you want that I, or that I follow, that I watch and see what they're doing, but there it's for any one problem, there is, a, there are people that do that have gotten at least a good head start on solving that. And so I usually try not to invent something new until after I've done my research and have I at least identified what at least one or two of these groups are doing. But these groups are in, if, if I understood correctly, in the home automation slash like IoT space, they're not in manufacturing. Is, is that correct? Yeah. So, so what I do is I group these, I group these people by what conferences they go to and what standards they're writing. The home automation, home IoT group, that is, that's your... That's your matter. That that's the they used to call chip. There's the building controls and automation. That's a group. There's the I call it the mobile robotics and autonomous car group, or the otherwise known as the Ross crowd. And there's the there's data center group. So that's the Open Compute Foundation. 
and then there's the then there's the obviously the industrial automation and then i typically break it into two different groups either you're someone who deals with highly centralized facilities or highly distributed facilities and those two groups tend to, to also approach things a different way um they, yeah I think it's going to be really interesting, right? Like what's going to come to the manufacturing space, right? Like when you're talking about, let's say, like pipe, like closed loop systems that can learn and then let's say adjust certain parameters. I think it opens up a lot of doors. And I, I personally have some ideas on how that can be used. But at the same time, there's the question. And again, I don't want to take us down that path like too deep. There's the question of the regulatory statutes that will then start like limiting what happens when let's say like that loop is adjusted on a safety device because at the end of the day we're almost in a similar scenario like self-driving vehicles where lives are at stake if something is adjusted if something is operating a little bit differently because there is an edge solution that is adjusting those parameters for the operator right so it becomes an interesting question at least in my mind yeah that's a whole that that whole topic is probably what I've spent the most time thinking about of anything is the what is what does it look like what does it look like at scale to do closed loop control where the where the agent of that where the agent that makes the decisions on set points and things like that are not a human but a but a some kind of artificial intelligence or and it's a, it's something that is like, in order to save people's souls, I will not go, I will not go into it right now because it's the end game of all this. I definitely spent a lot of time thinking about it, too much time thinking about it. And that's, and I'm, I, I probably, it's not a one-on-one course. It's not a one-on-one conversation. That's fair. Dave, what are your thoughts? I think it's really interesting, Caleb, right? And I really like your comment, I think, again, for the second time about how your goal is to not reinvent something. And what I find is time and time again, honestly, too many times we see five groups come and invent of quote unquote invent something that is really similar over the course of 24 or 36 or 48 months. And then it is this mad dash to trying to figure out who is going to be right and first to market. So I completely agree if there are other smart people out there thinking about things and if there isn't some sort of critical flaw with those thought processes, it doesn't make sense to go reinvent everything every single time. So I, I thank you for that. And I thank you for a couple of those groups that, that you had listed. I do need to slightly transition this conversation because we've got some people to thank. Uh, so we want to thank Siemens for sponsoring this theme, as well as bringing Vlad and I Manufacturing Hub to SPS Nuremberg next week. If you guys missed that at the very beginning, that is what Caleb and I were talking about briefly. So with Siemens, Accelerate Transformation for Industrial Production is what Siemens is all about for during SPS Fair 2023 in the beautiful city of Nuremberg in Bavaria, Germany. Now, both Vlad and I are featured guests and co-hosts. We're super excited to go be part of it and bring it to everyone who, who is currently watching. So we will have daily shows. So Monday, we'll do a preview. 
on Thursday. We'll do a grand finale on Tuesday. We'll have a recap on Wednesday. We've got a manufacturing hub show that is absolutely jam-packed. That's what we were doing today uh, on the, the normal East Coast side. And this evening over in Europe is, is going and getting everything prepared for that just an hour or two ago. So we are super excited for that as well as a couple of other presentations and some other things that we're doing. If you guys are intending in person, come by, say hi to Vlad and I, or learn about some advanced solutions that are transforming manufacturing across the globe. There's V19, there's the virtual PLC, there's industrial information hub, and a whole bunch of other things that we've talked about here, talked about in the past, and we're super excited about. I will say Siemens is the entirety of Hall 11. So you come in and I think you take a left and it is the entire hall, which is super exciting. Watch our stage presentation as, as we discuss modern architectures for ITO, OT environments and hyper-local hyper solutions in a global economy. If you can't attend in person, no worries. Siemens will be streaming all the stage presentations so you can watch them or catch the recording on from the comfort of a more reasonable time zone for all of our normal North American listeners. Guests can get their tickets for free and in person. Check out Siemens.com slash SPS Fair. We'll go ahead and drop that link below or access the virtual event by registering. And thank you to Siemens for sponsoring the episode, for bringing us here, and for come over the course of the next week. Now, Caleb. Uh, I want to go bring us back to previous conversation we had with you in episode 66. And as all our longtime listeners know, I ask people for career advice. And I think Caleb gave some of the most unique career advice that he distinctly remembered as we were getting ready for this is if you want to be in this industry, go be a social worker or go do something like that. And you, you teased it out. And here we are 80 episodes later. And I want to talk a bit about the soft skills, right? And I think that at the core of go be a social worker, learn how to, to deal and work with people was the need for soft skills. But I want to hear more about this. So would you mind extrapolating on that? Yeah. So, yeah, I would say at, at Winter Winds, we have a pretty, we're pretty opinionated about this particular topic. So the president of the company is a former teacher and is a curriculum designer for, and I'm a former social worker. And the, and what we found is that particularly now where you have two kind of thing, two things happening. Number one, you have you, the ITOT convergence. And that means that you're going to be explaining a lot of things to people that they will be less familiar with. And you'll be having to explain, you'll be having to interact with people, a, a, a much broader set of people than you do if you're just doing, say, a PLC project. Because when you're in the, when you're delivering solutions that span IT and OT, you will find yourself explaining Profinet to IT people. You'll find yourself explaining Kubernetes and Docker to OT people. You'll be explaining what the benefits of the system is to executives. And oftentimes, it, so oftentimes you have to be really good at reading the room, as it were. For example, I'm well aware that I butcher most of the things. And that is, and that kind of awareness is how you're coming off to other people is an important skill to understand because so much is missed in, 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 de in delivery. And I think that one of the most important skills is to understand 
how you appear to others when you're talking, i.e., is what you're saying landing? Is are you explaining it on the right level? I really like the explaining the same thing from everyone to a six-year-old to a postdoc or a PhD, an expert in the field. That is, you will do that all the time if you're implementing converged ITOT solutions, because oftentimes there is there are not that many people on the planet who currently serve as ITOT glue. And if you find yourself in that role, you have to be very good at, like I said, determining whether or not like the meeting that you just had was, did how many of the people integrated what percentage of the information that you gave. And when they're asking a question, it's important to understand what is the, why are they asking that question? Is it, are they asking that for them? Are they asking it because they have stakeholders they have to answer to? It's, and so essentially I would say that soft skills and speaking skills are both necessary very necessary if you're going to say, if you want to put Kubernetes in an OT environment, there's a lot of people that you got to explain why you're doing it, how it's done, how they manage it, what happens if it breaks, what, and you have to understand that there's a lot of people, especially in the big organizations, there are a lot of people who are they're not bought in. Oftentimes nowadays, I, when I see people wanting to do AI and control systems, it's usually driven from like the executive layer, the executive group or the innovation team, not someone who runs operations. So oftentimes you're, if, if you're implementing this, this thing they want to do, you're having to hit square on with people who would rather not do that. Don't want to. You don't want to do. It. And so you have to be cognizant of that. And, and it's like I said, it's important to know how. Like I said, I watch body language really quickly, like very closely in meetings, and I try to figure out when people are checking out and things like that. So, if I kill, if I can follow up on that, how would you recommend an engineer who's maybe realizing that they lack those skills to build them up? Are, are there any workshops? Are there maybe any books? Are there ways to practice? Because I think a lot of times it's very difficult to close that loop unlike technology, right? Like technology, I can just, well, like I'm seeing that I program a PLC faster. I can generally gauge that the projects are going better, but on this maybe like human level, it is a little bit more difficult to do. So, um, Actually, I think that the best, um, so again, this is, you know, not innovative ignorance. The best, all the best books and stuff that I've ever read on this subject are come from education. So teachers have to teach a subject to a wide variety, a, a group of people that have a, are in different places in life, that have different backgrounds, have different levels of understanding of different subjects. That is a very different scenario than say, PLC training where you know, you're doing TIA portal, everyone who shows up either knows what an S7 is or probably, but in the in, ed, in formal education, especially I think elementary education, 
you have to specifically, I would say, I will have to, I will send you a list of books, from, but it, there are some really interesting stuff around that. And honestly, I can't think of anything specific off the top of my head that this is what you should, this is the one thing you should do. I, like I said, I came by it fairly organically. And so I don't, I, I don't really know the best formal way. Again, this is something that I need, I need, actually need to ask Valerie, the president of our company about. She's a curriculum designer. She, this is all they think about is how to get the information across to the, to, to people who are coming at it from, from a, a myriad of different scenarios. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Dave, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. I guess I, I love everything you're saying, Caleb, and we look forward to that list from your side. But let me ask. So I know that you work with a bunch of engineers, right? So internally, I'm sure externally, if someone is a degreed engineer and has worked in an engineering role, is there a, or maybe a couple of pieces of general advice or things that you would suggest to them so that they can start working on those soft skills? Because what I find is that most people who work in an engineering role have been engineers for an extended period of time and don't have the ability that they don't have the luck to be a social worker, to be a teacher, to be something else who there you're almost forced to go learn these soft skills because the things people are saying may or may not be the things that they mean. I would say the number one thing, the number one thing I would start with is Start is always make sure that you understand yourself and you know what your, what your predisposition is, what things will shut you down as an example, mm -hmm. or what, so that, because if you have a, if you have a strong awareness of yourself and what your blind spots are, I would say, go look for your blind spots. You have some, everyone does. And it's important to know those blind spots because typically a lot of innovation is a discomforting thing and it requires constant learning. And I found that usually the people that struggle the most with change are engineers because they, they will, they'll want to innovate. They might want to do new things but they usually don't want to learn a lot about, for example, one of the hardest things to do to get a software engineer to do, for example, is to really study a open source library and do more than just a ba basic integration. Like, I don't know how many people understand how they really go in depth with MQTT, for example or how to really leverage influx TV. So a lot of people have very strong opinions about this, but very few people probably have depth of understanding necessary. And so I would say, like I said, know what your blind spots are, know what your weaknesses are. That's number one. Then number two is when you're talking in a room, always watch people as you're, so if you're giving a presentation, for example, you're not, you're, you don't look at the slide. You don't look at it you should be looking at other people. And if it means that you have to do more prep work to memorize whatever, so you just glance at the slide, but because that you, I, all the time, 
there, there's several times where I will just stop. I'll just throw, I'll skip over slides. I'll throw slides out. I won't do a PowerPoint presentation. There's, I've made a rule for myself about if I have to, if I have to, if I have to get out PowerPoint to explain someone why they should have industrial edge, I've failed. That's a, because a PowerPoint, because for something as inexpensive as that is, someone should, it should be pretty easy to get someone to pilot it or use it in their automation lab or something. If you're having to do a whole 40 thing slide deck, you, you did something wrong. You, you either did, I have that same rule around Linux and Docker and things like that. There's certain things where you should be able to explain it well enough to someone that it's just a no brainer to them, but you don't have to have a big, that's one thing. That's my rule is I don't, I usually, I always try to avoid the PowerPoint presentation when I can, because it's usually should be reserved for somebody you're supporting you're supporting somebody who wants it who wants the solution and they need help explaining it to others versus introducing it for the first time to that organization so I, it's a like i said it's a nuanced thing um, but yeah okay i like that and i really want your two sentence explanation on why industrial edge but i'm going to give you 90 seconds to think about that caleb got a couple of uh, comments on top of, of your comments in regards to soft skills right so i i also agree that they're super important i think that most of the people watching this are on the technical side uh are on the technical side of things i guess i've got a couple of suggestions if you will, is one to, to Caleb's earlier point with, with soft skills, you're going to go continue to rise in your organization and you're going to have to be able to talk to people whose background is not the same as yours. Right. So if you're an engineer, you're going to have to talk to more than just engineers, more than just engineering managers. You're going to have to go talk to people who have general business degrees, who've got very little technical background. You're going to have to go explain things to people that look at everything like it's an accounts ledger from the financial side. At some point, you may have to go explain things to directors and vice presidents and other executives who really don't want the 70 page summary of something, but they really want to know why it's important to them. And if you can do it in less than 90 seconds, that's all the better. So I would say going and practicing those skills, meeting and networking, and having conversations with other people, absolutely super important. I'm going to throw out a way overused book on a couple of the podcasts that I listen to. It's almost a joke at some point, but I, a number of years ago, rented uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People as an audiobook. And, and I listened to it a couple of times, and, and I think there are some interesting aspects from it, despite the fact that it was originally written approximately 100 years ago. But going and having conversations with people, I think, is, is absolutely important. And, and again, to put a nail or a pin in the soft skills are important. They are what will allow you to advance or allow you to not advance in your career. And they are only becoming more and more important the, the every year as it goes beyond. So, so thank you for bringing that up, Caleb. I'd like to come back. I know we're putting you a bit on the spot, but you said if, if you have to pull out a bunch of PowerPoint slides to explain why Industrial Edge, you feel like you, you have failed to some extent. So if someone comes to you and says, Caleb, why should I use Industrial Edge? What, what is typically your response with that? 
What I say is, the, I'll edit a bit. I'll say why they should look at, why they should evaluate. A big determinant in OT for me, for software is, does, if you want to evaluate software and will they let you just trial the software, install it on your own? You don't have to have multiple conversations. You don't have to beg them to get, give you the, so, so industrial edge is in a state where for $500, which is the cost of an IEM and, and, and one, I, and one IED, a virtual device, it's around $500 basically for, for that. You get a whole lot of infrastructure that is necessary to deploy containers at scale. So if you want to do anything innovative that allows you to take a Linux, an edge computer, a Linux computer and, and deploy, doesn't matter what it is you're trying to do. They, the industrial edge is better than doing it from scratch. And if you look at the $500, on average, a corporate meeting where someone's giving a PowerPoint presentation for an hour and a half probably costs that company more than $500. Mm -hmm. If you spend more than two or three days thinking about it, if you spend more than a couple hours reading about it, with how much people in this industry cost by salary, one thing I like to do is break my time down into what it costs per hour me. And it's to me for the fact that they will, they, you get the software, you can trial the software, you can, it, it's really inexpensive to get started and it allows you to install it. It's very portable. So it's, it lets, they let you install it in your own infrastructure. I don't know why you wouldn't look at it. I really, I don't know why really, because it's a big, like I said, it's a big thing when, like I said, the, the, the first thing for me about that I really liked about industrial edge was I didn't, no one at Siemens knew that I was installing it. No one knew, like when I first started messing with industrial edge back in April, no one at Siemens, I didn't ask them how to set up an IEM or how to set up an ID or how to deploy an application or how to build an application. All the documentation's there. It's very, it's, I just don't, I just don't know why you wouldn't look, I guess is the best way to put it. The big one for me was I found that a lot of companies who do this always try to get you to push the data to their cloud somehow. And industrial mm -hmm. edge is the app store is portable. You can put it in your cloud. You can put it on your, in your OT network. It's basically wherever you need to put it. And that is, a, that's a big differentiator that there's a lot, there's, there's a lot that brilliant engineers at Siemens there in Nuremberg and, and other places have done to make it, to make it, have done to make it a lot, it, it a, a container, a lot more manageable and a lot more observable by non-expert in container and containerization and the work that they've done in cybersecurity is like the way that they did they implement the cybersecurity is just it's just brilliant it's it's all of the pieces that you need to like i said if you're thinking of doing it just by yourself you should see what you're going to need to build it's, it's like i said it's really power it's a really powerful tool well, I know that was a lot more than two sentences and I apologize for that.
No, I, I love that as Caleb and all of our long-term listeners know, brevity is not part of this show, which will bode very interesting for next week at SPS when we're on timers for, for most everything. But no, Caleb, I love that. I'm excited to continue these conversations as you continue down the industrial edge path on the Siemens side. I'm excited to go learn more and bring some of that knowledge back to North America as Vlad and I are in Nuremberg um, next week with the Industrial Edge people. I've had, again, many conversations with them, and I'm super excited to learn more. At, at the price point, I'm not sh- I, that might be the best value of anything in the, this entire industry. When you told me that it was $500 to start, my thought was, are they missing a zero? The value that they bring, $500 is an amazing especially, price point for see, that. Especially when you see all the apps you get for free. All this, like that, like they're not charging for IIH right now. Like that whole, mm-hmm. like, and it by itself, it's a, it's worth more than that. But when you talk about device management and application management and at scale and secrets management and proxies and integrations and and an API, a unifying API and the ability to establish your own data model and integrate OPC UA information models into it if you want to. It's like I said, it's it's a ridiculous tool for what they're charging. It's like I said. Uh, especially if that's all the further you go. Now, obviously, there are apps that they have that cost that, that that cost some. I even saw one that was like it was like they will come and make a machine learning model for optimizing the tool path for your CNC machine for drill tap machines. It's ten thousand dollars or something like that. There's there's a range of things that they they have, and but like I said, to go and see what to go and look at it and to evaluate it and connect it up to your control system and run your data through it and try to create some value. It is, like I said, it's like 150 for an IEM and then I think it's 364 a year for a IE virtual device. And that's the very bare minimum you need to get started. And I, like I said, I, I don't know why I don't know why you would need a PowerPoint presentation f- to look at it if you're trying to do this kind of thing in the factory. But I, absolutely no, I I think all all of those are great points, and I am interested to see what those announcement looks announcements look like uh, next week. And in a couple of years, we'll get back together and see if those pricings are still on the insanely great value, or if they've started charging a bit more. Uh, but, but Caleb, uh, I want to go ask you the question that I ask all of our uh, guests. I want to ask you what you think that the future of this industry looks like in the next two to three years. Do you predict it's more tools like this? Do you predict we're going to take a hard left somewhere? What are your thoughts? I think that I'll say, I guess the best way to say it is, I think that there is a necessity for us to figure this out because the... I think of it as we are the, in industrial automation, we are the, we're the protectors of societal growth. And if we fail at our job, the the first people to suffer are the poorest children because we provide the services, the infrastructure that creates a modern society. I would say that we have to start embedding the context into the system because we're losing, we're losing the idea that some guy is going to come into your OT, your warehouse, and learn your process for 40 years. That's not going to be a thing anymore. And we have to embed this context into the system. 
or else it's not a given that technology moves forward. The reason why one of the, the fall of Rome was, had to do with people forgot how to operate and repair the aqueduct, aqueducts. They, they got, it got worse, technology got worse. And we're actually at a point of abstraction in, with computers where it's impossible for someone to know even it, a, a small amount of the overall information. And there are some things about technology that are moving backwards. There are some things in interest in the infrastructure that was built is it has a natural entropy. I guess the best, the, my prediction is that we are going to have, we are going to have, we're going to figure out the, the way to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take the next step. We're going to get past data collection. We're going to get to deeply embedding context into the system, which I think is the next step, which is where digital twins come in, things like that, that and the system having the knowledge built in is really critical that we do in the next five years, because I, there will be meaningful impacts, societal impacts if we don't, because it starts to fly apart and everyone's seen it when someone leaves that knew everything there was to know about a particular aspect to a system. And sometimes you abandon the system. Sometimes you, it takes a lot more money and time and effort uh, to replace what that person could do. Sometimes it takes three or four people. Sometimes you never can replace it. And I am genuinely very worried about us as a group, not getting there for whatever reason, because like I said, it's not, it's not like this is going to just, it's not like things are going to get better if we keep, if we still, if we just stay in the mess around with a new way to push data from the PLC to the cloud, we need to get past that step and move into the, uh, the making a more, having the system be more aware of, of what it's doing is the best way to put it. And that is the thing that we have to solve. And it's on us to solve because I don't know, I don't know that the next generation is going to make it. They know they have less subject matter expertise than, than the people who are here now. And they have less interest in general of understanding the subject matter. They're more wanting to in interface with the technology and have novel technology. One thing that a lot of people don't like containers and stuff because they think it's too complicated. They want to, they, the old maxim, keep it simple, stupid. Simple to who, right? The key is for us to understand that we are now caretakers of the, I'm sorry about this rant. We are caretakers of, of the well-being of society in many very meaningful ways. Whether you work in a factory that manufactures something or you work with the, the utility grid, or you work with energy extraction and, and processing, it doesn't matter. You're in this business, you're doing something critical and important in society. And so we got to figure it out is the best way. Absolutely. I think that, I guess that was not where I thought you were going to take the question, but I think it is a very honest answer to, to the question. And so I hope that we as a society and more on the positive scale opposed to the we continue to make worse and worse aqueducts until we don't have water end of the solution. So I thank you for that, Caleb. Next up, I think you've got both a book and some content recommendation for us this week. 
Oh, yes. Honestly, the I really liked the, the there's two books I'm very, one is called How the World Really Works by Vaclav Schmiel. And he, he actually takes takes on different things that we want to do and determine as a group, whether it's like electrification of cars, things like that, and talks about what does it really mean to have something like an electric combine? You know, what, like, what, how does the world, how does hmm. our infrastructure work today currently? And he actually uh, breaks it down into energy conversions. He's a, when you're converting energy from one, from one, one form to another, how much, how efficient is it? How well is it stored? It to me, it's a hugely important book because it helps to sort of, it, especially if you're in automation, it helps to ground what you're doing. Like I said, this book, this is a book that you know, talks about how our society runs, everything from steel and concrete and the importance of nitrogen and ammonia and the importance to our well-being, to the running of our society. It's a very, I, I think it's a great book. Uh, I would say definitely read that book. No, perfect. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Caleb. Next up, some career advice. I, I know we briefly talked about soft skills. I don't know if the career advice is to continue down the soft hole or you've got some other technologically focused career advice. Networking. Um, networking touches everything, including, you know, cert certificates and PKI and VEF and proxy. If you're trying to mess with Kubernetes or if you're trying to do Docker networks, or you're trying to do basically everything is essentially networking. I would, that's, I would say it's really hard to, it's really hard to, it, to me, it's, it's the skill because it is the glue that makes everything else work, whether it's a field bus or a Kubernetes cluster or ingress controller or LTE or wireless communications or firewall. It's the big point in ITOT convergence that I don't think, I don't think that there, you, you can't hack your way through that. You basically like it, there's so many things that the network kind of governs and guides and it's also the point of it's also the the point where if someone is if you get hacked that's where if they're remote that's where they're coming through the network it's very important to understand networking i would say especially layers two and three I know, I know Josh would probably say four and seven, but I don't know. I'll have to see what, I, I would be interested to see what he says to that, but, but definitely networking. Okay. I love that. I was going to mention anyone joining us now that missed last week. So last week, episode 142, we had Josh Varghese on. Uh, Josh is probably, I'm just going to call him the OT networking guru, the person that I think almost everyone I know calls if they've got questions in regards to OT networking. We also got super deep into the technical side on with Josh. Caleb, uh, the last question for you is who should reach out? How can our listeners help you? Are you guys looking to hire? Are you guys looking for new customers? Are you looking to have interesting technology conversations? You're open for them to ask our listeners to help you any way you want. Yeah, I would say it, I'm always interested in talking to, to I'm always interested in talking to, to people about this stuff. I'm very interested in it. I would say 
if you're wanting to if you're wanting to evaluate industrial edge or if you're wanting to work with industrial edge then i would say definitely definitely talk to me i've put a lot of effort into understanding how to do literally anything in it and but yeah definitely it's if you're trying if you're wanting to if you wanted to put in if you're if you either have or want to put an edge computer out there and do something beyond what you can do with PLCs then definitely reach out because it's it's a it's a interest it's a very interesting topic it's in it and it, i i give way more free advice than i should but but I, I would say that is absolutely true. Caleb absolutely gives way more free advice than perhaps he should to the betterment of the community, perhaps to the detriment of of the bottom line of his organization. But Caleb, we all love you for that. And at this at that point, I'd like to say thank you, Caleb, for being here. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Manufacturing Up episode 143. If you guys are not connected with Caleb, please go connect with Caleb on LinkedIn, which is where most of our listeners are, as well as Vlad and myself. Please follow Manufacturing Hub on... Oh, oh, hold on. We've got Chris who's making an edge pun. Thank you, Chris. Excited to work with you all to edgify the world. A perfect edge pun to, to go ahead and close this. We will see Chris and Chris will be on something at some point next week at SPS on, on the semen side. But no, guys, uh, please go follow Manufacturing Hub on LinkedIn as well as on YouTube. If you guys haven't found us on YouTube, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button. If you made it this far on podcast form, please remember to go hit the link and the share. Rate us five stars where you can rate us five stars. Remember to follow so this downloads every Thursday when we've got new podcast episodes in your ear holes. Until next week, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.